0: Thank you, Jaron Bowman and worship team for uh, leading us, and thank you for joining together as a church family in praise of our God. Uh, if you have a Bible or a device, I'd encourage you uh, to turn to Colossians chapter 2. We are in week 2 of a four-week study called Above All, and as we begin today, uh, can I begin reminding, begin with reminding you that we live in a world that's broken, can I begin by reminding you with some bad news? Everybody good? I came to church to hear bad news, okay. Uh, I don't know about you, but every night on the news when we were going through this thing called the global pandemic, I was just like tapped out. Bad news, bad news every night. Well, we're not so much tuning into that anymore, but we still have mass shootings we still have woke wars and political wars. We still have scandals. We still Now we have inflation, that uh, we had a war. We have a war in Ukraine, a war now in the Middle East. Uh, and then we have all the things in our personal lives that aren't going right. So everybody good with the bad news, right? There's bad news. And in real time, we are trying to discern with our shared humanity uh, the world in which we live and who we are. What are the answers? Is there any hope? In the midst of this bad news, is there any hope? Is there any good news? Our recently Princess Kate, the Princess of Wales. How many of you, royal watchers? Okay. Princess Kate was visiting a a uh, community center uh, in Britain, where they were housing Ukrainian refugees, and while she was there, she met an eight-year-old refugee girl, and typically as she does, she got down on one knee to talk to her. Now the royal family doesn't typically share personal information, but uh, Princess Kate said to this eight-year-old girl, she said, "You know, this morning my daughter was singing a song, and it made me very happy. She was singing "Shine, Jesus." shine. Possibly Queen Elizabeth might have had a bit of influence there with her grandkids, not sure. But why is it 2,000 years later, we have little kids singing, shine, Jesus, shine. Why is it 2,000 years later that we gather here together and talk about this person, this Jesus of Nazareth, Why is it that we say His death and resurrection are the most important events in human history? Why is it that we say He is the most important uh, person in human history? It's because He died on a cross and rose again the third day. Because He is God who came to this world to save us from all the mess and the bad news and the brokenness of it. And 2,000 years ago, He said to His first followers, take this good news into all the world, and one of those people that did that was the Apostle Paul, and he took the good news, and as a result, churches started popping up everywhere, and there's a church in Colossae, modern-day Turkey, and he is celebrating the fact that they heard the good news about Jesus, that there is hope with all of this bad news. However, he gets the report from Epaphras, who had traveled from Turkey to to Italy to Rome to see Paul and said, Paul, there's false teachers, there's stuff coming into the church that is not in line with the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so, Paul writes this letter, and in the letter, he lifts up the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus. And basically, he says to them and to us, the life that you want, the needs that you have, questions that you have, they're all found in Jesus. Don't look anywhere else. Your life, he says to these first followers of Jesus, your life is focused on Him. Don't focus it On anything else and in this section last week we began with him Paul lifting up who Jesus is and what he's done for them and who they are he now transitions and in this letter he's gonna say now I want to warn you that there are people who are gonna try to handcuff you to other things other than Jesus don't be enslaved to what they're teaching it's not true don't lose your freedom in Jesus and he's gonna talk about people deceiving them Uh, disqualifying them condemning them controlling them and he says to them don't don't fall for that you don't need any of the stuff they're selling you have Jesus and so today as we begin I want to ask you the question is Jesus supreme in your life is he enough in your life ultimately are you gonna be okay because you have Jesus and if you think you need more than Jesus Paul is saying to you you're you have a shallow view of him because you will never meet a more compelling, more loving, more beautiful person than Jesus Christ, who is God, come to us. Paul will say to us, take your hunger and longings, all that you need, and put them into exploring more of Jesus. So that's what we're going to do today, is we're going to look at keeping Jesus as our focus and being aware of all of these other things that would seek to enslave us. So if you have Bible, Colossians 2, beginning in verse 1. How many of you last week, 29 verses, man, there were a lot of verses... Okay, we got 23, a little less today, but please bear with me as we go through chapter two. So Paul writes this to them. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom are hidden, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul writes to them and says, I want you to know I'm praying for you, I'm contending, I'm struggling for you. Oh, that I want you guys, that you would be knit together in the love of Christ, that you would um, uh, be encouraging one another in Christ so that you may know Christ clearly. You may know the mystery of God, the plan of God, which is Jesus, his death and resurrection, And so, Paul is saying, keep him as your focus. That's my prayer for you. Now, notice there, he says, uh, he makes a statement about Christ, that in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, why does he say that? He makes that statement because there are a lot of people telling these followers of Jesus that there's wisdom and knowledge outside of Jesus. Yes, you can have Jesus, but you need more than him. If you want the good life, if you want to be right with God, you've got to know more. And Paul says, no, Jesus is the repository of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is wisdom and knowledge. And notice the, the word hidden. It implies that there's more to be discovered. Jesus is infinite in all his attributes. He's infinitely wise. So you'll never reach a point today or in eternity where you're like, oh, Got Jesus figured out? You never will, because you can't measure his wisdom and knowledge. If you how many of you have had an Easter egg hunt? If you have children at your home, right? The eggs are in the house, right? The kids got to go and find them. It's the same Paul is saying to you. The wisdom—you want to be a wise person, a knowledge person. It's in Christ. You got to explore and go find him. Tomorrow, I'm doing. I'm going to be at a memorial service uh, for a man who, uh, I think, he's, he had a great eight education, and yet to me, he is the wise one of the wisest men right at the top I've ever met, because he knew Christ, and uh, wonderful. So Paul says, "Keep your eyes on him." And then he makes this. He gives this warning, verse four: "I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments." For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Oh, I'm just celebrating your faith. You heard the good news, you love Jesus, but don't fall for these fine-sounding arguments. Don't fall for them. And he's gonna mention about four different fine-sounding arguments, uh, false teaching first humanism, then legalism, mysticism, and asceticism. And if you were studying the book of Colossians and you have some uh, study notes, you'll find that these are referred to as the Colossian heresy. It's a mix of different ideas, beliefs, and philosophies. Today, we would call it syncretism. This is nothing new for us today. Today, we have syncretism as well, where we take Jesus and we blend Him with all the different ideas, philosophies, religions out there. Uh, Ross Douthat, who is a journalist for New York Times, has written a book called Bad Religion, how America, he's talking about the United States, how America has become a nation of heretics. And in his book, he says, Christians aren't to blame the intolerant secularists, They're to look in the church because the church is taking Jesus and they're adding all sorts of things to him or they're subtracting all sorts of things from him. And as a result, there's just this blended mix of Jesus. And so Paul says, don't fall for this stuff. Stay focused on Jesus. Again, he goes back to Jesus, verse 6. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thanksgiving with thankfulness in your bible if you underline this is the key these are the key verses in this book just as you receive Jesus by faith who he is and what he's done for you you continue to follow him, keep your focus on him, put your roots deep into him, keep growing in him, learning more about him each week in your life group uh, as you open your Bible and building your life on him, you're living for him, serving him, he is your foundation. And as a result, you're being strengthened in your faith and you'll, you'll find yourself being so grateful because the more you realize who Jesus is and what he's done for you, it overflows into thankfulness. Paul in this book talks about focusing on Christ, but he also talks about being formed by Christ. And you're not going to we are not going to be formed by Christ if we don't focus on Him. And again, it's so easy in our day to get our focus off of Jesus. If your focus is on Jesus, you're going to find yourself becoming more loving. You're going to find yourself being more patient with people. More patient with kids. You're going to find yourself thoughtful and kind. You're going to find yourself forgiving. For some Christians, and this came out loud and clear from the pandemic, their focus wasn't on Jesus. It was on their favorite blogger or their favorite podcast or their favorite news channel or their favorite partisan politics. And as a result, they listened to that and they sprinkled a little Jesus on top of it. If I'm a Christian and I'm angry and I'm divisive and I'm I'm arrogant, I'm not focusing on Jesus. I'm not being formed into his image. So Paul says, put your roots on him, keep your focus on him. And by the way, you can have a favorite blogger, a favorite podcast, but make sure whatever you're hearing aligns with the person and work of Jesus. So now he says, after keeping your focus on Jesus, he says, now don't be enslaved by anybody that tells you something in addition to Jesus. So let's begin verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power, and authority. Is Paul saying you shouldn't take philosophy at university or college? Not at all. Philosophy, the study of our existence, of reason, of knowledge, that's good. What he is saying is don't buy into philosophy that doesn't have Christ at the center of life. Notice he calls it human tradition. He's saying don't buy into all of these ideas about our existence when Christ isn't at the center of it. And he says behind all of these human ideas there's these elemental uh, spiritual forces in this world he's talking about the spiritual realm because in their day um, they were caught up with this spiritual realm angels and demons and he's saying yes behind these these human ideas there's a spiritual realm and so he says don't be taken captive Um, in that day Um, the philosophers, if you go back a few centuries to Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, a lot of good stuff, all truth, it's God's truth, but everything they taught, not all of it aligned with who Jesus is and what he's done. It wasn't compatible. So, we're not so much talking today with Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. We have Oprah and Deepak Chopra and Neil Donald Welsh and Eckhart Tolle Okay? Uh, Oprah, how many remember Oprah? I think, right? Anybody win a free car on her show? Oh, man. Um, But hey, wonderful, Oprah, you have helped so many people. Way to go, Oprah, so positive and bringing healing. Great, and so we're behind Oprah. But when she teaches something that is not compatible with Jesus, his person and his work, we say, no, wait a second. And Oprah does not have a Jesus who is supreme and a Jesus who is sufficient. Oprah, like these other sellers of spirituality, mixed Jesus and some of his teachings in with a whole bunch of other things. And the problem with that is that we need more than just a spirituality. We need truth because things that aren't true, that don't accord with reality, They will eventually fail us one day they will come to an end so this whole thing about being spiritual sounds really nice it's a fine sounding argument paul says don't fall for that stuff so he turns his attention then from these human ideas without jesus to now being captured and enslaved to legalism you've got to do all of these things in addition to jesus verse 11. in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through your faith in the working of God, who raised Him from the dead. How many of you just read that and you're like, okay, I got some questions, right? What is going on there? In that day, there were these people called the Judaizers who were going around saying, okay, you can have Jesus, but if you wanna be saved, you have to be circumcised. Now, in the Old Testament, you'll read about circumcision as a sign of the covenant people of God. When Jesus came, that was no longer needed. He fulfilled the law and all the requirements of it. In Acts chapter 15, this was a big problem, not only the church of Colossae, but all the churches, Peter, Paul, James, they all had to get together to try to wrestle with what's the place of the law that we have in our Old Testament, what's the place of that in the life of a new Christian? And they said, as they gathered together, looking at Jesus and his teachings, you didn't have to follow the law to be saved, to be right with Jesus. Today, we say the same thing. Jesus didn't come to uh, abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So, there's certain things in the law that we want to learn, and this is who God is and how to respond to Him. We just don't throw the law out. However, we don't say to people, you've got to do all of these things in addition if you want to be right with God. So, here Paul says, I want to tell you, here's the truth, that you had a spiritual surgery by god not by human hands that in your heart he cut away your spiritual nature when christ died on the cross and then he talks about christ's baptism and resurrection and he wants them to know you've got new life You're okay. You don't need to do the things of the law. And then he goes on in verses 13 and 14. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. He says to them, listen, you can do this and this and this and this. It's not going to make any difference because you're dead. And the only way you're made alive is through Christ in what He did for you on the cross because you had a debt to a holy God. And it was that debt, that document that was nailed to the cross when Jesus died. Stop and think about that for a moment in your life. Every sin that you've committed, every sin that you will commit, if you've received Christ as your Savior and Lord, every sin is put on, was put on that cross on a document and paid for, taken away. The charge that stood against us has been taken away. Anybody just want to say, okay, let's clap, hallelujah, praise the Lord. I'm forgiven, right? Your sins are forgiven freely, fully, and forever because of what Jesus did on a cross for you. So, Paul says, the law, you don't have to obey that stuff. Jesus paid it all for you. It's finished. Keep your eyes on Him. And then he, after he uses that um, metaphor from the business world, he then wants to share a metaphor from uh, the military. If you look in Scripture, as you look in Scripture, you'll find the cross. There's so many metaphors used to describe it. There's so many different statements from different angles at what was done. But here's another reality because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Verse 15, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Paul says, don't let anybody judge you. If somebody says to you, you've got to eat this, you've got to wear this, you've got to do this, you've got to observe this, and they look down on you, and they condemn you, and you're not good enough with God, I'm better than God, don't be handcuffed by that. Don't be enslaved by that. Don't lose your freedom in Jesus. He's paid it all, Don't let them do that to you. And he says, these laws, they were a shadow of the reality that's to come. Don't focus on the laws. Focus on Jesus. And when you focus on Jesus, yes, the laws, you can uh, learn uh, things about Jesus and, and obey Him, but you're not preoccupied with the law. The whole purpose of the law was not to make us right with God because the law shows us we can't be. We can't meet God's laws. He's holy. It was to lead us to Jesus. So Paul says, beware of that. Don't fall for that. Then for another teaching, and this has to do with mysticism, uh, he warns them about that. Verse 18. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. Don't let anybody disqualify you. Earlier in the letter he said, because of Jesus, because of God our Father, we are qualified to share in the inheritance of God's people. We've all got an inheritance coming. Don't let someone come and say, oh, you don't have that inheritance. You've got to do this. You've got to experience this. And this had to do with Eastern mysticism coming into the church and saying, oh, we saw this experience, the secret gathering, the secret... Um, and they were this idea of, of trying to get into that spiritual realm, realm Um, with the angels and the demons, and Paul says, you don't need that. You don't need that. They're not really spiritual. They're puffed up. They don't really know Jesus. You're not missing anything from all of their experiences. And just to note here, Paul, when he's talking to them um, about this spiritual realm, uh, they were… In that day because it was it would later come into the form of gnosticism but in that day they were just preoccupied and worried about demons getting them and they were just like oh i need to get into this experience where i need some angels to protect me and they're all caught up in that and paul says i want to tell you something you know that spiritual realm those demons christ is bigger He is more powerful he already defeated them when he talks about disarming them at the cross he's giving them the christians a picture of what jesus did at the cross and so that military metaphor goes like this in first century rome and the roman empire uh, was near its peak and almost into britain and then across to iran uh, on the other uh, end of the spectrum and a powerful kingdom cruel kingdom, but there were soldiers stationed throughout this empire, and there were generals. And if a general uh, defeated an enemy um, of Rome, the general would return after the war to Rome, and they would have a parade in his honor. And if you look at historical records, there's a number of of references to uh, different generals uh, that were esteemed. And one certain historian, Plutarch, talks about a Roman general called Aemilius Paulus, Anybody feel familiar with Aemilius Paulus? Okay, I didn't think so. Um, but Aemilius Paulus and his army triumphed over the Macedonian army. And Plutarch writes that when Aemilius Paulus came back into Rome, it was a three-day parade. The first day, they, took the 200, they had 259 chariots of the enemy and loaded them with the riches and uh, statues from the Macedonians and marched them through the streets of Rome. On the second day of the parade, they had uh, uh, wagons with all of the armor um, of the soldiers going through the streets of Rome. And then on the third day, the prisoners of war were stripped, and they walked through Rome. And at the very end of the parade was Aemilius Paulus, and he was applauded and adored. Paul says, you know the spiritual realm you're all caught up and worried about? Yes, on the cross, Jesus was stripped naked and it looked like he, was, he had lost, but behind the scenes, let me tell you the story. It's actually those powers that were stripped naked. He defeated them at the cross. So don't worry about demons getting you. Jesus is more powerful. Don't worry about people saying you're missing out and you need the protection of all these angels. You don't. You have Jesus. Jesus. And so keep your focus on him, meditate on him. Can I just say, before we move on to the next point, um, the mindfulness app, okay? Everybody, we're talking mindfulness app, you know, trying to introduce it into schools and universities and everywhere. There is a place for breathing and deep breathing and calm, good. But mindfulness is another word for Eastern meditation. You are, we are to breathe deep and calm ourselves but it's not by chanting certain things or clearing our mind. It's by focusing on Christ. When you focus on Christ and who he is and his power, let him calm you. Take some of his verses, his words, and memorize them and speak them to your soul. So this whole thing, and by, again, there's a, a place for deep breathing and all that, but boy, we gotta be careful uh, with the extreme there. Okay, and then the fourth group, Paul warns them about verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, so all of these demons you're all preoccupied with, why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. He's saying all of these people who are saying to you, you have to, you know, this self-deprivation, this self-mortification, you have to hurt yourself if you want to be closer to God, because God's not for pleasure. He's saying, why are you following that stuff? It's all a sham. Look, it has the appearance of wisdom, but it's got false humility, and it lacks any value. It doesn't get to your heart to change you. And so Paul says, don't go there. It's all human in its origin. One of the things about the gospel and the good news of Jesus, the Christian story, is that it's not only a, message, a story that explains why is the world the way it is? Why are we the way we are? What's going on? But it, it's a message that transforms. The good news of Jesus, when He comes into your life, He begins to change you. And that's what Paul is saying to these believers. Keep your focus on Jesus. All these people that saying, you need this or you're missing that, don't be enslaved by them. So what does that mean for us today? Here's just a, a few thoughts. Today, we have a secular society where God, in a sense, you know, has been removed for the most part in many places. Um, And this longing uh, that God has created with us, God created you uh, in His image, so you have a, a consciousness of a God that's out there, something out there. So, you have that longing for God. And just because we as a society say, we don't want you, God, doesn't make that longing disappear. It simply reappears in other forms. That's why people will pour their life into sports. And life is all about sports and betting, and they follow it with religious devotion. And then there's others who now, they pour their life into politics, that's the answer. And then there's others who pour their life into their sexual identity, that's the sacred uh, identity. And all of that, you see all this desire for God We just simply put it on something else and we worship something else. So Paul says all of those things won't meet your needs, won't fulfill you. The longing that we have for transcendence. If you're like me more than once in your life, you're like, I'm gonna die one day. Is this all there is? God has given you and me that desire for transcendence. Ecclesiastes, God set eternity in our hearts. There's more out there. There's something out there. It's Jesus and His presence in your life. But today, you can turn, and like so many in our society, you can look for for that transcendence in other places. You can look to the stars and astrology. You can look to the energy you have within. You can look to New Age and crystals. And here's the latest. I don't know about you, but I love bookstores and they're few and far between now. But I've noticed at uh, a few bookstores here and in the States, the Christian faith section has gotten smaller. And and now we have a New Age section, but that section is, is a little bit smaller. And you know the latest right now is Wicca, is buying books on witchcraft and spells. We have a desire for the presence of the one who's out there, of transcendence. But we're looking at stars, we're looking at spells and demons, we're looking at crystals. Paul says, don't fall for any of that. We have a longing for forgiveness and wholeness. Interesting, I've heard this a number of times from counselors or psychotherapists, that people that even aren't Christians, they gotta do something. With their sin, with their, well, whatever you want to call it, what do I do with this thing? Why is that? Because God made us moral beings and we know there's something not right with us. And so instead of saying, Christ, I receive your forgiveness and, and I, I want to praise you because I'm whole, we turn and we look for that wholeness in other ways. For example, one is the whole purity of food movement. Have you seen that one? Maybe you're on that one. Good for you. Good. Nothing wrong with food. Eating right food. However, but this idea that if I, you know, don't put uh, bad food, (laughs) Lay's potato chips, okay, if I don't put that into my body, that somehow my body's pure and my soul will be pure. Paul says, don't fall for that, don't look for forgiveness in other places, look at the cross. And then finally, um, God has given us that longing for peace, that that we would have a sense of stability and security. Paul says, it's in Christ, don't look elsewhere. Don't, yeah, don't look elsewhere for that. Paul says, your deepest longings are not going to be found on Amazon buying crystals or some book on witchcraft. It's not going to be found in a clean diet. It's not going to be found in some sort of system. It's found in a person, and his name is Jesus. That's your only hope. Keep your eyes on him. The life you long for is found in him. Keep exploring him and going deeper, finding more and more of those eggs of wisdom and knowledge. And don't let anyone enslave you. Next week, we're going to talk about what the Christian looks like with Jesus as my focus. But today is about not what I'm doing, but what I'm believing. And so I wanna ask you as we close, what do you believe about Jesus? Is he really supreme? And is he really sufficient ultimately for you? That with Jesus, you have enough. Are you rooted in him? Lord, I want my roots to go down into you. Are you building your life on him or in something else? One last thought. Taylor Swift, anybody heard of her? She's a singer. You know, with her following of of all her fans. Sorry, somebody help me here. Are they Swifties? Is that Swifties? Okay, Swifties, right? One of the things about her songs resonating is because her songs awaken the desires that God has put in us for being seen, for being known, for being whole, for being accepted, for belonging. And so we say, way to go, Taylor Swift. Yes, we need all of those things, but here's the thing. Taylor Swift ultimately can't meet those needs. And your kids, you need to remind them of that. Only Jesus can, because he's the one who created you.